0: March 8th podcast episode. My name is Reena Sander. I'm the author of the textbook De Modane India. This textbook is written in Norwegian, and I'm also the founder of the NGO De Modane India. We wanted a woman for the March 8th podcast episode. As we all know, the world, as we know, is changing rapidly and getting smaller with communication, businesses, innovations, and travel. Roli Aranya was our first choice as she was rewarded NTNU's award for internationalization in 2022, also because she's a global Indian. She's highly skilled and a dynamic risk taker. And now she's one of the drivers of the brand NTNU around the world. Roli is a professor in urban planning at the Faculty of Architecture and Design at NTNU in Trondheim. She has been working at NTNU since 2006. Her main fields of interest are partnership-based approaches to climate transition, urban governance, inclusive and just transitions, and impact innovation for sustainable urban development. So we really have an expert with us today. In her career, she has worked actively with promoting institutional partnerships between academia, civil society, and beam by multilateral agencies across the globe. Welcome to the Mudane India podcast, Rolly. The topic for this conversation is capacity building for better cities. But first of all, Rolly, please allow me to congratulate you on being awarded the Award for Internationalization. What is this NTNews International Award? Thank you, Rina.
1: It's an honor to be invited on the World Women's Day, absolutely. And I'm really honored that you picked me for this podcast. Uh, And thank you so much for the congratulations. Uh, I must say that I'm very proud to have received this uh, award because I have really, really worked hard for internationalization of the university in all the years that I've worked here. And what does it mean? Well, it is awarded to someone who works for the uh, international engagement and international impact of the university and be it uh, through networks with other universities across the world or to research organizations or to industry or NGO civil society and so on. What I have mostly been working with is networks with uh, civil society with other universities across the world. So I have uh, been working with universities in India, of course, uh, in Nepal, in South Africa, in Uganda, uh, and some other places, and uh, working towards building partnerships for education, but also for impact. That is something that I have been very concerned about. So we've been working with local stakeholders where these universities are located, These could be municipalities or could be civil society agencies, or by a multilateral organizations that are involved in different facets of urban development. So we work very much out in society with our students, enabling students to be real change makers in society.
0: Oh, it is wonderful to work with students, right? Students are like, they are still so naive and they have all the energy and they really want, and they know that they actually can Change uh, the world. We have so many wonderful examples of young role models who are actually drivers. So um, yeah, and it's good that to hear that you are working with different countries: Nepal, Uganda, Uganda. So um, yes, it must be very very fun. But it's a fact, Roli, that Indian cities are the real powerhouses of the national economy, and India is transforming from a rural to an urban country. And since you have been working with urban planning, how do cities build capacity, how do you build competence in India, and what is actually required to build competence? Well, everything in India is big, uh,
1: including the problems and including the capacity. So. There's gaps in capacity, but India is a country that has a lot of capacity as well. There are, like you said, it's very exciting to work with young people. It's very exciting to work with students. And I think India's capacity lies in its youth and in its young people. And I think the realization of that is very prevalent. But what India lacks is the capacity within its public institutions. So there is a lack of capacity to work with urban development with transition for the climate, or for that matter, technological modernization uh, within public institutions like municipalities or urban development agencies. While this has really been invested in by the state governments, by the national government, it is still a matter of capacity to implement these plans to identify what are the needs to identify the needs rightly and to be able to find the right solutions which are contextual. So I think capacity building, as you rightly say, is going to be the need of the hour in India, and a lot of agencies and a lot of good work is being done. And I can take up one example, like the Smart Cities Program for all that it is criticized for. One good thing that came out of it was the fact that a lot of very highly qualified young people were recruited first by the Ministry of Urban Development and deputed to these different uh, cities that were implementing smart cities uh, programs through their uh, internship program that they established. And that has created this kind of cohort of extremely talented and well-connected people to the realities of urban development that have become extremely good resource for future projects. And I think that was one of the smartest experiments within urban development for capacity building that I have been involved with and I've observed over these past few
0: years. Oh, it's really interesting to hear. And I imagine that building competence in cities in India is very different from building competence in cities in Norway. What would you say are the common challenges when it comes to implementation of smart cities in Norway and cities in India
1: Well, uh, the surprising part is that I thought that having my experience on working mostly with India, I would have nothing to contribute to urban development in Norway because it would be so different. Uh, But interestingly enough, there are so many transferable learnings from what we have worked with in uh, cities in India and in Norway, especially when it comes to implementation of large projects within smart cities, uh, because one has the technology. And maybe the affordability of technology varies between Norway and India, but India has invested a lot of resources. So I wouldn't say that the affordability is very different when it comes to the state uh, funded investments. But what is different is whether the benefits of the investments reach out to all groups of people and whether the identification of needs represents the needs of. All different groups of people so the challenge is that smart cities does not remain an elitist project that is benefits mostly the resourceful and the already well-to-do parts of the city uh, and doesn't reach out to everyone and that's as much a challenge in Norway as it is in India and the second thing I would point out is the fact that smart cities or any kind of kind of comprehensive city development projects require the working across silos that most often our institutional structures are built up around. And that is a big challenge. That is possibly a bigger challenge uh, in, and which requires long term cultural change within institutions than just changes in or, or
0: just a better understanding of needs and opportunities. Uh, just listening to you, Rolly, this sounds very complicated. You know, to work uh, in silos and to make so many stakeholders come together and try to find a common ground, and then working from there. Uh, hats off to you to uh, to to navigating in such complicated landscape. And obviously, you must have done a lot of good things since you won the international award. Um, Let's go back to India, because by 2050, roughly 60% of Indians will live in cities. Delhi, Mumbai and Calcutta will be among the world's largest cities and become home to nearly 100 million people. How are cities in India adapting to slow change, to rapid change society? I feel that when I come to India and if I see it from every fifth year, it's like, coming back to a total new city. Can you please elaborate on this? Well, of course, change
1: is rapid uh, in most societies at the moment. And uh, while you say that you come back to a different city every year, I feel like a lot doesn't change too. So some things are stable and some things stay the same. Uh, I think Indian cities are are in a state of flux. Uh, They are, now, very rapidly realizing the need for modernization for and realizing the economic powerhouses that cities are. So the value of urbanization is very much uh, very much a realization that has come to Indian policymaking as well as to the cities themselves. And the investment required to transition from a very low level of infrastructure development to a high-tech post-industrial knowledge-based level or or knowledge-based society is a very big transition to make. And of course, it cannot only be based on on purely public investment. So so I think what cities are navigating with is the need to make partnerships with industry and to make strategic partnerships with the private sector so that the outcomes are not unequally dis- distributed and also are within the strategic uh, strategic policies or strategic aims of the uh, of the government and i think that's the part that that is the slow part of the change because that takes a long time to to effectuate and the rapid change is all around you because the market is, is omnipresent and uh, the, the, the economy is growing. So you see the vibrancy of the economy all around. They're not waiting for anybody. But what is happening is, is that there are these pockets of prosperity being created and possibly an increase in inequalities in some way, although there is also an increase in opportunities. So to, act, to counteract this increase in inequality, would have to be a very important agenda
0: that Indian cities would have to work with. Very interesting. And what would you say, Roly? What is the impact of complex multi-level governance structures compared to knowledge-based urban development? You have already touched upon it, but can you elaborate more? Well, like I said, it's critical
1: to, to knowledge-based urban development because if you need to make this transition to this post-industrial society, and this knowledge-based society, then you have to navigate across sectors and across silos. And just like in India, as in Norway, as in most countries in the world, governments are structured, even governance structures are very rigid and they are sectoral. And in order to enable this intersectoral collaboration and, uh, and, and this governance that cuts across these sectors, you know, because, as everyone can acknowledge, the urban sector is a very multi-sectoral uh, area. It's a very complex domain, and it requires the engagement of both economy, infrastructure, urban development, social development, education, and every possible mode of development within a very confined uh, physical space. And therefore, it requires the collaboration across sectors, across governance networks, and, as like I said, Collaboration and partnerships beyond the government. So it does. The scale at which the transition is expected or needs to happen requires more forces than just public investment. And that is a transition that uh, the the landscape in India is a very big representation of.
0: And Roli, would you say? I mean, would you give us some examples? I like, would you say that some cities are doing better, or is there? some cities that are front runners in India um, or even in Norway and if there are front runners what have you seen you have been working in this landscape since 2006 at NTnu what make them front runners? well I'll, I'll give you an example I've, I've just been working with
1: um, I spent a month working with the National Institute of Urban Affairs which is an advisor to uh, the Ministry of Urban Development in India. I'm on a sabbatical at the moment, so I'm spending my time trying to understand what they do and how they work. And they have had the responsibility for working with uh, implementation of all the 100 smart cities uh, in in India through this large smart cities mission that India's had. And although there's, this, this whole process has run its course and it's now in its uh, uh, phase as so phasing out uh, stage, there is still this huge gap that is felt about what the biggest city are doing and what the slightly middle uh, or, or medium-sized cities or slightly smaller cities are doing. And what is surprising is that rather than the biggest cities like the Delhi's and the Mumbai's and uh, the Kolkata, of course, they are making big leaps when it comes to infrastructure development. But the more creative innovation-based transition or urban development processes are happening in the medium-sized cities. So we've been just working together last autumn, working with our students in a city called Kochi in uh, Kerala in India. And that's a very interesting city because it's, it is located in Kerala with its, with its uh, history of political, uh, political environment. It's a very progressive state and with that comes this innovation although kochi is not one of those uh, uh, the, the biggest megalopolises, but it has made a lot of progress a lot more progress in in aspects such as inclusive public spaces or or creating a better living environment for its people uh, or or upgrading its its historical uh, historical heritage And and these are very interesting values, which very often get lost in in very big cities uh, because they are concentrating on large scale infrastructure. So that's what I find most interesting, that how medium-sized cities are catching up to the big cities when it comes to uh, taking on new ideas and sometimes going past them. So so, so that's what I find interesting. And I think the same can be seen in, in Trondheim and Olesund. That's where we've been working in the last uh, few years through NTNU. And you find that it is these cities that are sometimes leaders of innovation. Uh, well, I'm sure not to offend the people that live in Oslo, but uh, very interesting ideas coming out of Trondheim and Ålesund uh, just as much as the biggest cities in Norway.
0: I totally agree with you. Um, um, I don't, you probably have the answers why. Um, it's, uh, more innovation happening in mid-sized cities. But this was really valuable input for uh, for at least me, and I'm sure for the listeners as well. Now I would like to go back to the fact that you actually um, was awarded the Internationalization Award of NTNU. Um, What contribution have you made? uh, I mean, if you look back at your career, uh, one, what is your greatest career accomplishment? And how where do you see yourself heading for the next decade, Rolly? Uh
1: well my biggest accomplishment is difficult to to say. Um <laughs> you have so many. <laughs> no, not because I have so many, but but it's 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 because I I, I, I give everything to each one of my uh endeavors. So uh, so well i guess i guess it would have to be through uh, through the study program that i work uh, in you know we we uh, well anybody that's followed uh, norwegian academia knows that it's going through a, a big process of change and uh, restructuring and uh, an, i've i've been a leader of an international master program that has been running now for almost 25 years and we've always been struggling to survive because unlike uh what we what we believe international internationalization of education uh is a very very fragile investment and uh it's a very fragile uh situation and at the moment is quite threatened uh by the change of policies by the norwegian uh, ministry of education uh, and and we and there was there's been many points in time where our study program has been threatened but most satisfaction from is that all the students that we have ever educated understand the value of coming to norway to actually study in a program that has a global perspective and surprisingly enough they don't find that in their own countries and this is like kind of an island of uh uh, of of globali- globality or globalness, if you would like to call it, and uh, this is where we we have created an understanding of urban development that transcends international boundaries. And each of our students is an ambassador for that. And when we have to fight for our program, the kind of feedback that we get from our students, the kind of appreciation that we get from our students that feels really good. So I think of all my achievements, that's what I would count as the most important, not my research achievements. I would in fact say that my education in, in, or my or my time working, building up the study program is my most important uh, contribution to NTNU. I wouldn't actually call any of my projects as my greatest achievement more than what, uh, although they have all contributed to making this uh, study program what it is, but not one of them was as, as satisfying as this program that we've been part of and not just me alone a lot of my colleagues have worked very hard on keeping this program going and making it what it is and when i talk about the future if i would like to see this into the crystal ball as you say uh, what i would like to do is to set up uh, some kind of uh, um kind of a strategic area or some form of uh, strategic strategic center uh, for working with innovation for in low and middle-income countries we have a lot of projects at ntenew that exist in all these disciplinary silos that i was talking about when it comes to governance and uh, there's a lot of good people that have been working and are interested in working with the low and middle-income country uh, context as a scenario as a as a context for innovation which is unique given the fact that there are low resources available, but endless possibilities for innovation. So I would like to see a kind of a strengthening of this commitment that NTNU has had over many, many years with working with problems, with working with global challenges, working in partnership with low and middle income countries and really living up to the NTNU's motto of knowledge for a better world. I really hope that I can help realize that
0: in my time, remaining time at Entenu. You have already done so much and I'm sure you will do a lot of lot of more exciting things for Entenu and also for the rest of the world. Uh, We have come to the end for this session, Rolly. Thank you so much for sharing knowledge from the field you are working with Um, it is complex hats off to you i mean to work in silos to see what is happening in different cities uh, working with large cities compared to mid-sized cities like Kochi, Um, and then to work in partnership to have private companies on board and then to make the, um, the municipalities pull all these things together it seems very complicated but you have still given us hope that uh, so much is happening and that uh, competence is built and that knowledge is shared across countries, across cities, and of course, between Norway and India. Big thank you from us and all the listeners of the Mudane India podcast. Big, big thank you, Roli. I wish you all the best. And if there's something you would like to add, you still can add something before we end this episode.
1: Thank you so much, Rina. Thank you for having me. Um, as I said, I am very, very honoured to be especially on the 8th of March uh, episode. Congratulations to all the women and all the strong women from all over the world, and especially those from India. I know there are a lot of very strong women in India. Thank you so much and I wish you all the best.
0: Thank you. We are also super happy that we could have you on board for the March 8th episode because you truly are a global Indian highly skilled and a risk taker. All the best for you Rolly, and thank you for this conversation.